Welcome to the Holistic Healing Project, a podcast that explores how we can optimize our health, support our body's natural ability to heal, and deepen our relationships to ourselves, each other, and the planet. I'm your host, Dr. Laura MacDonald, and each week I'll be bringing you conversations with a range of experts and thought leaders to empower and inspire you on your own journey of healing. Welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you here. And this week I'm sharing a conversation all about mushrooms. Now, mushrooms have been used for centuries in cultures all around the globe to support health and longevity. But the science is only really starting to catch up with that ancient wisdom now. We're finding out that mushrooms can support our bodies in terms of reducing inflammation, supporting our immune system, even fighting cancer cells, and so much more. We really are at the tip of the iceberg in terms of the research on mushrooms. We have a lot more to learn, a lot more to understand. But to find out just a little bit more, I sat down with Julian Mitchell, co-founder of Lifecycle, a mycelium biotechnology company based in Byron Bay. We talk about culinary mushrooms in terms of button mushrooms, shiitake mushrooms, and then we dive into medicinal mushrooms, otherwise known as functional mushrooms. And of course, we touch on psilocybin, otherwise known as magic mushrooms. And then we talk about mycelium biotechnology, which is a whole industry I had no idea about. It's fascinating. Julian's company is just one of many companies in this field. It's just exciting what's going on there. I really feel that mushrooms are the way forward in our future in terms of human health and planetary health. And I hope by the end of this conversation, you will feel the same. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, as always, please just take a moment to rate and review. And I will be back again next week. Hi, Julian. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, it's great to um, have a, a local chat. You're only around the corner from us in Byron, so it's good to see you doing what you're doing in the local area. Do you know what? It's really nice because I have, so far since setting up the podcast, I've pretty much been remote and having all these calls via, you know, online. So it's so nice to sit down with someone. I recorded one podcast at the very beginning with somebody. So yeah, it's really nice to connect with you in person. Yeah, especially at this time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think you guys are some of the first people I've seen kind of since lockdown <laughs> starting to... Well, slowly end. How, slowly how have things been with you for the last it's, few months? It's been busy, yeah, with uh, with mushrooms and immunity and I guess the whole topic around, you know, I think if you're in toilet paper or hand sanitizer or mushrooms, things are going pretty well in terms of, I guess, customers and just people wanting those products. So it's exciting for us and we've just been trying to keep up with demand. Um, so very blessed to be in that situation. Yeah, definitely. Well, there just feels like there is no better time to be in the world of mushrooms, whether it's movies like Fantastic Fungi or all of the studies coming up with psilocybin mushrooms. Mushrooms are having a moment for sure. So yeah, I was really excited to speak to you as, I mean, you've you've really become Mr. Mushroom. Like everywhere I see you're on podcasts and speaking about them. So it'd be great to get into this topic with you. But before we dive into mushrooms and the medicinal purposes in terms of the functional uses of them, I would love to know how you yourself became interested in mushrooms, but also transitioned, because I know you were a physiotherapist originally. Yeah, originally a physiotherapist. Yeah. How did that and, come um, about? I was interested in health as a typical young Australian mm-hmm. boy. It's all about sports, all about being outdoors. And then I guess dreams were broken early in terms of maybe not getting to an elite performance. I was like, okay, how do I stay within that environment? Because I loved 
competition and thriving to be your best and new techniques and advancements in science and health and so sport was always I guess the channel for that elite sport and so studying physiotherapy very lucky straight out of university to work in the English Premier League um, with a football club and so it was like oh my my dream and um, that was great and fun and a great you know holistic medical team that I worked with those guys have now gone on to be you know, head of medical for the England football team and the psychologist for the England football team and gone off in their own way. So I was in a, an incubator of great brains in, in medicine. And from there, really, I guess I felt that was fun, but it wasn't scalable in the sense of how do you scale this mm-hmm. knowledge. And, and at that time, entrepreneurship wasn't really as buzzy as it is now, five, five six years ago or actually even, even longer, eight years ago. And then combining that with, you know, I guess, yeah, how do we – do something that's probably a bit more meaningful than working on an ankle for a footballer in terms of people's health and everyday health. And so I was working as a health consultant back in Australia in Perth with my co-founder Ryan and um, we were just sort of brainstorming because we were seeing a lot of people for nutrition. We were doing health consulting on mental health, a lot of talks on resilience, goal setting, a lot of sort of first responding to cases of depression or suicide with workers within the company that I was working for, which was a, a mining company. So therefore, you know, fly in, fly out. There's a lot of, I guess, similarities actually with footballers in terms of their mental health, in terms of they're getting paid a very high wage. Um, they're away from home a lot. You know, they're chained to the role at times because they're used to the money. Mm. So therefore, there's actually a lack of freedom because there's golden handcuffs attached to it. And then just a lack of education around financial literacy, relationships and all of those dynamics. And so it became a bit of a melting pot for poor mental health in that environment. It's so interesting that that's in football. Like I Mm. I struggle to feel sorry for footballers in a way, earning all that money. But the way you've just framed it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And it's just all those athletes, I guess, and all those celebrities and things, they're always, you know, people change when they have money, but people around them change when they have money. So it's very hard for them in that way. And it's it's funny saying that it's so hard for these footballers. But the people around them change as well. Mm. People come out of the woodworks and you have all these. So when we were at in the football club, we had a lot of players on antidepressants, you know, which for me was the first time I've seen that as well, which was surprising. So I guess there's always been a theme of mental health a little bit, but then attached with the health consulting role was poor nutrition was a direct link that I could see that was very obvious, our disconnection to food, eating food that wasn't really serving our body. And, of course, there's many aspects to mental health, but that stood out. So what kind of year was this? When were you having that kind of realisation? Yeah, that was between 2013 and 16, um, the health consulting role. And then from there, looking at, okay, what does the food system look like in the future? How do we feed 9 billion people? How will that exist without GMO food, without overuse or habitat loss um, of agricultural land, you know, small water use or low water use? No pesticides, no chemicals, no antibiotics. What, how do we manage all that um, and use and eat real food at the same time? And so mushrooms um, stood out as being, you know, sort of an uncharted continent, in the sense that there was lots of research out there. Paul Stamets doing amazing work. Many predecessors just leading the way, and it was just sort of not really uh, happening in Australia at a tangible commercial level. Um, and then even around the world, it wasn't really happening. And so we started Australia's first urban mushroom farm. Um, where we were collecting coffee waste to grow mushrooms in an urban environment and then we could grow up to 300 kilos per container. So we were starting off as farmers and we'd never grown a mushroom before we started. 
uh, we crowdfunded and then like, okay, well, we better learn how to grow mushrooms then because we said that that's what we were going to do and it was a great experiment. So was it the sustainable, the idea for wanting to be part of a sustainable future and helping to feed people and people to be more connected to their local food source that was driving it rather than the actual mushroom itself? Does that make sense? Like I'm trying to work out yeah. what, what came first. It was really the, it was just the tick, 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 tick yeah, on just, everything mm-hmm. um, because we weighed up other options like aquaponics and hydroponics food systems. But then when we got to mushrooms and then what we dived into it, it was really an endless, infinite potential of farming, applications, biotechnology, and that's where we've gone in terms of evolving from farming and being really good at growing mushrooms, cultivating that to them being in biotechnology around solutions with mushrooms. So this has all happened over, what, five years? Four and a half years. Four and a half years. Wow, you've done an awful lot. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, we've got a a great team that are just day in, day out, very committed and very passionate about what we do, and so it's, it's fun getting up. You're over in West Australia. Yeah. And you crowdfunded to set up the first urban farm. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's a big jump to go from growing oyster mushrooms, and I think you said you were supplying restaurants and farmers markets and things, to then having a hugely successful worldwide company that supplies people with coffee and extracts and everything. Like, what happened? You know, there's a a big story in there, I feel. It was micro steps in terms of, and it's looking back at it, it's just funny how things evolved because when we crowdfunded, we got a lot of media. And on the back of that media, we had to think about 1.7 million views on one video and another video got 800,000. And so we got a worldwide reach and we had lots of people reaching out to us. And one of those was uh, Tom, our chief scientist now, was an intern at the time um, needing to do his practice for a biotechnology degree in, in France. Oh, so he read it, yeah. an email handy to do my placement for three months and Ryan and I at the time were like, some guy from France that wants to come over and spend three months uh, you know, doing his prac. And we're like, okay, sounds good. And so um, that evolved into him now just being with us ever since then really and being an essential piece in the puzzle because he's an, you know, a genius in the sense of biotechnology and that biotechnology wave of which we've gone down now with producing extracts, you know, laboratory set up, hygiene, contamination. We've filed some patents now. We've got some trademarks. And so that came along. And at the same time, we had a great mentor and business partner and our chairman, Will Scott, who's, you know, um, started many food businesses in the past. And so we had all these right moments of key members coming in. Perfectly. Yeah, yeah. So it became, you know, Ryan and I with an idea to a bunch of other people coming in who had expertise in certain areas that we needed at the right time. So looking back at it, it just seemed so perfect. And at the time we were just naively walking forward and it's everything sort of came our way in a in a very lucky way. But I guess that's sort of luck, but I'm sure an awful lot of work. As yeah, well. yeah. We definitely everyone's working hard and flat out as we are still now. But yeah. Yeah, how did we get from growing mushrooms to that? It was key team members coming in on board, timing of the market, working very hard, of course, and a company working hard is luck, generally speaking. Um, and I think just the market being ready for it as mm-hmm. well in terms of you know looking for natural solutions on the back of CBD and just natural health food products becoming very popular. Yeah, because I think the last five or six years have been huge for the wellness industry mm. anyway. I know when I was first diagnosed with cancer back in 2014, I very quickly you know, went onto a plant-based diet and then started looking at other ways to support my body and just hopefully um, heal from cancer. And a friend's dad 
recommended chaga because he was importing chaga from Russia. Correct. I'd never heard of chaga. <laughs> I'd never, like medicinal mushrooms are completely new to me. But I got in contact with a company who at the time were making kind of these mm-hmm. sachets and they actually very kindly reached out and because I said I had cancer, they just supplied me with a year year's worth of Awesome. Chaga, reishi, you know, all these yeah. kind of amazing powders. Um, so I quickly added those in. But I remember telling people at the time, so this was like 2014 maybe, yeah. 2015. Yeah. And I think everyone just thought it was really weird. I know, <laughs> I'd go, when I was working at work, the nurses, I'd be there in the staff room brewing up my, my chaga and it was a really strong smell, the yeah. company I was using. And they were like, what's your witch's brew? What are you drinking <laughs> today? And at the time, you know, it was it was an, a mainstream. And now everyone seems to know about mushrooms, mm. whether it's culinary or these medicinal mushrooms that I'd love to get into as well. Yeah. If we can just go there, I guess I mentioned chaga first. Yeah. And I know that for a while you haven't been producing chaga, but it's actually new on your range. Is that right? Yeah, it's a brand new product that we're bringing out in a couple of days in Australia. It's been in the US for a little while. Yeah. And I guess... What's passionate to us going back to that sustainability piece is that transparency on supply chain as well and a sustainable supply chain. And so with shaga, it grows, it's quite a rare mushroom. It grows on birch trees in birch forests, one in every 1,000 trees. And birch forests and birch trees are very medicinal in themselves with the birch sap being used. Actually, that's the main ingredient and in how they've created xylitol, the natural sweetener. Okay. But the bark in the birch tree is very good for brewing up as a tea with the Native Americans. So... The tree is very medicinal in itself. It grows in a very cold climate. Hence Russia. Hence Russia, hence northern North America, hence Sweden and northern Europe. And so this mushroom is able to survive and thrive in this climate. So just like having a cold bath and all these hacks that humans are starting to do in terms of biohacking, testing your body to build resilience, that's actually what's happening with the mushroom itself. And so... The outcome of that, so the the chaga mushroom that we find, we have foragers that we have a direct link to, I guess, and understand the sustainability and making sure they're harvesting sustainably rather than just, you know, taking the whole piece of it and it's a bit of an art to harvesting. So now that we know, now that we have that supply chain, we're happy to bring it out. Um, And all chaga that we forage is over 10 years old, which is very important. So that also adds to its value in terms of its benefits and what it has in it. So it has betulin has the highest amount of melanin of any food product and so melanin is amazing for your hair for your skin and for your eyes and it's what gives it its pigment Mm -hmm. and so what you notice sleep and sleep Mm -hmm. as well it helps restore you know normal sleep cycles with that serotonin melatonin but what you notice with the the chaga from the research is because of that melanin content your your hair will really begin to to shine or your eyes will you look in the mirror after about seven to ten days and they'll be very clear yeah, so you get that and you get the, I mean, the melanin content for UV protection and radiation protection, which is becoming more topical by the day well, with EMFs and, and other sort of modalities coming out but uh, and increasing. So the chaga is a, a real powerhouse and it's, you know, in terms of alkalinity as well, it's very alkaline and so it has the magnesium, potassium, um, calcium, other trace minerals that are all just important. And so, yeah, it's an exciting one to bring out. It's known as the king of mushrooms and the testimonials have been amazing and also just the research is very promising on it mm. i think i ended up taking it daily for about a year yeah and it was for the exact reasons you said it wasn't that i necessarily thought it was going to be an anti-cancer you know it was going to cure me of cancer as such but it just seemed to be such an important antioxidant for your immune system so yeah that was one of many um the other ones i was taking at the time turkey tail which yeah. i know paul stamets um, yeah. i saw him on a ted talk a while ago and 
he said that actually he feels that that's a really important one in terms of potentially cancer in, in the future. I know he gave it to his mum when she was ill. But obviously it's good for so many things, isn't it, Turkey Tail? I think there was a study done from Harvard on PSK and PSB, the two key compounds within the, the mushroom. So, yeah, long-winded names, but polysaccharide crescetin and polysaccharide peptide. And these two show compounds for prebiotic activity, so stimulating the cytokines and stimulating the proliferation of good, healthy gut bacteria. So, and again, that, you know, it's, it's been a, a very much a buzzy frame of good gut bacteria and good gut health and what does that mean and what does it translate to? And what the research was showing there is really what it translates to is just also an increase in stabilisation in mood, which is fascinating because yeah, we know the about gut the gut-brain axis. Brain axis. And so that's something that you know, is, is fascinating to learn and more research is needed. And then also just in terms of any digestive issues um, or food issues in terms of celiac, Crohn's, IBS, um, the research shows really that there's an easing in those symptoms. So turkey tail is, is amazing for that. I know in Japan now they've started using it in conjunction with other um, treatments. So, yeah, these are all supportive for just a healthy system. And do you get these, because I know um, quite a lot of your products and other companies as well, you either get the product as a tincture kind of within the alcohol or otherwise as a powder. But when you're talking about prebiotics and probiotics within mm. those supplements, do you need to eat the mushrooms whole as whole foods to get those benefits, like turkey tail, for example, or, or can you get them from the, yeah. the supplements themselves? Yeah, the medicinal mushrooms or functional mushrooms, as they're known, is really like some of them are edible, some are not edible. So reishi, turkey tail would be like eating this table very mm -hmm. firm, very hard, very hard to consume. The lion's mane is a, a culinary mushroom as well, so it's known as a lobster of the woods. So it's quite delicious. Shiitake, of course, is uh, edible as well. Shaga is like a, a cluster of, you know, uh, rock in a way. So that's very, you know, you can't cook or eat that either. So depending on the mushroom, if it's edible or not, but you're just not necessarily going to get the full spectrum and the absorption rate and the potency or high quality with eating. You know, you're going to have to eat a lot of shiitake to get the same amount that's in an extract. Second to that, that's why we also developed liquid extracts because... We believed in the absorption, you know, in terms of being able to consume it and absorb it and bypass the stomach with that as well. And then thirdly to that is it's full spectrum. So there's a lot of debate and interesting conversation around mycelium versus fruiting body. You know, can in you the explain to space. people actually, that'd be really handy, if you can just describe the difference between mycelium, fungi or fungi, depending on whether you're American, <laughs> and yeah, they're just the simple mushroom. Because I think those... Yeah terms are thrown around a lot and people sometimes have no idea what what it means yeah so the you have the animal kingdom the plant kingdom you have the fungi kingdom so it's a people i guess to to understand the enormity of it it's that it's an entire kingdom with many many species that includes yeast it includes bacteria it includes mushrooms and, and other forms in that so with the mushrooms you have the mycelium which is the root of the mushroom so if you imagine you've got an orange tree you've got a root system that's mycelium the root structure or even the tree itself is the root structure whereas the orange is the fruiting body the fruit of the tree the mushroom such as the shiitake that you put in your risotto or the portobello that you put in your pasta whatever it may be that's the fruiting body of a mushroom and that's the debate between is it better to use the roots of the mushroom mycelium or is it better to use the fruiting body and so we believe that both have amazing benefits and so having a full spectrum product is better but the so key so you do use both then we then? use yeah. both and there's certain processes we use to extract them and so 
we believe by doing that we make, we can make a, a higher quality product. And um, I guess from the testimonials that we received from working with different athletes in America, uh, in surfing, NFL and, and EPL in England, that we've seen positive results with that. We let the, the you know, just trial the product and see what you, you find because that's really where it's up to, uh, especially in the US with um, dietary supplements. It's like you're trying something, are you feeling anything from it? Um, and just empowering that consumer, that user, that athlete to really feel through and feel if they're noticing anything as impacting them or not because there's so much stuff out on the market. We don't want to be beholden to marketing campaigns. We need to trust our own body um, to see what works for us. Mm, I think that idea of intuition and kind of tuning back into your own body is so important. I uh, spoke with Lou Schwartzberg, yeah. who directed yeah. Fantastic Fungi recently for the podcast. Our main topic was about the idea of nature, the healing power of nature, nature being a healing modality. And I started asking him about studies. Have you been involved with studies? And he just stopped me and said, do you know what? We don't always need science to back up everything. Like, yeah. I understand why, and especially <laughs> being a doctor, I'm always, I guess, looking at things slightly through evidence-based lens. But yeah. I, I just thought, yeah, you're so right. You know that you feel better when you're out in nature. Similar to, I guess, if you take certain products, you know in yourself how you're feeling. Um, and whether or not there's a bit of a placebo effect there, who knows? But it's, at the end of the day, if you feel better, that's what yeah. matters. So Exactly. And I mean, that's as a physio, it's like, oh, there's typically a, you know, a rivalry between physios and chiropractors or different things. But really, if that person gets results from it and they can be you know, discerning in their critical thinking that, yeah, that did work for me. And, and of course, there's always a bit of placebo at play. Actually, that's what helps Western medicine a lot. It's what helps mm, Eastern so medicine powerful. a lot. And that's fine because that's what Joe Dispenza and all these... You know, forward thinkers and, and creators of the new reality of how we treat um, certain conditions and how we heal ourselves going down that path. So it was the same when I was studying physio. One of our professors for musculoskeletal science was talking about, well, there's never been a trial or a random RCT for parachutes working out of a plane because who's going to be the group that doesn't test if that works or not? So that's funny that we sort of become beholden to that mm. RCT double-blinded trial Companies like us and other smaller companies aren't going to be able to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on trial. So then, you know, how do you how do you work with that? And how do you work with indigenous native cultures who've been doing these things for thousands of years that have so much wisdom beyond a randomised controlled trial? So it's definitely needing to balance both, and that's what psychedelic medicine is seeing. And now we have this new wave of, oh, this uh, you know mushroom works for this PTSD and depression and. But, you know, if you go speak to some shamans in, in Peru or something along those lines, then they can... So, of course. They've got hundreds <laughs> of thousands of testimonials and different things. So it's that balance. We need to find that sweet spot where we don't just um, blindly worship science because what we've found, and the British Medical Journal editor, I remember reading that she sort of said that, you know, after 20 years of being editor for BMJ, that... Uh, Corporate interest has um, infiltrated science so much so that it's, it can be corrupted in many ways and that's interesting yeah, and we should just, understanding everything that's happening now, question things, understand the science, understand the research, but ha going back to what we started with, trusting in yourself, trusting in knowing your own body and that's what I learned from the athletes. These athletes in the English Premier League were very fine-tuned because they have to be because that's their vehicle of you know, monetization and money and contracts and performance and all of that, that they trust in that. So I think if we can empower more people to do that, the closer we'll get to getting better products out there. Mm, definitely. Well, I actually jumped in. You're halfway through explaining some of the products. So I think we went through Chaga and 
Um, turkey tail, we went through. Lion's mane is a very popular one. It has a compound called nerve growth factor, NGF, and this is great at remyelination and neurogenesis of nerve cells is what the research has shown for this one. So, yeah, there's studies looking at Alzheimer's, isn't there? Like preliminary studies, mm, so exactly, it's exciting. Exactly. So all the way on, the sp- on a spectrum from you know Alzheimer's dementia to mild cognitive impairment to younger adults studying you know, in terms of memory recall, focus, concentration, consoling. Running a podcast, needing a bit of concentration. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We had just before. <laughs> exactly, so we're in the flow now, in the lion's mane flow. And consolidating short-term memory to long-term memory, which is in around REM sleep and your REM sleep cycles. So, you know, if you're not getting that sleep, then you could be studying all day as a student or you could be learning a new task, you know, in your daily job. And it just won't consolidate. You won't get that that memory consolidation as well as if you don't get that REM sleep. So we had Dave Asprey actually, who father of biohacking, the father of biohacking, who was um, you know had tried mushroom powders, has had them in his cafe, and was sort of disheartened. Pretty similar to the CBD space in America, where people are like, okay, well, I'm not sure if this works or not because there's just so much product on the market and not a lot of quality control maybe taking place. And so with the powders, it was a little bit the same because we know a lot of these powders. You know, 95% come from China and we're just not sure on, uh, I guess, the, the transparency and the quality. And so he was sort of disheartened and we just sent him some product to try. And funnily enough, the first thing he came back with with the lion's mane was his increase in REM sleep, increase in dreaming, high-definition dreaming and dreaming recall. And he noticed on his aura ring the increase in REM sleep by about mm. three four times. So that was That's interesting. really interesting because I mixed it up last night and had the lion's mane mm. just before I went to sleep with the reishi. And had some really vivid dreams. Yeah. And I don't normally dream. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually had a dream about a friend and I messaged her this morning to say, you were in my dream last night. So it's really rare. So yeah. I wonder whether that was something to do with it. It sort of has to be in the sense that we just get it so much now. Um, but it was never in the literature. And it was funny and it was just from people like Dave and we get a lot of aura ring data sent into us just randomly on social media from people saying before and after and it's sort of become a thing where they check their REM sleep. And we just know that that's, uh, you know, it's sort of like gut health has been a big talking point for the last few years and now all the sort of leading health people are going back to sleep, which is going back to the basics, but how do we optimise that? Yeah, and it's so important, you know, we discussed earlier, but just how the immune system is having its moment as well and yeah. sleep being so important for immune it's all, system. It's all connected as we know, isn't yeah. it? So, you know, you don't sleep well, you release ghrelin, you release that hunger hormone, you chase sugar more, you're more up and down in your mood you're less disciplined in what you eat because you have those sugar cravings and then you're just not as sharp and you're not able to remember as much or as quickly or as fast or as efficiently as what you learned yesterday. So, yeah, it's all connected. A good day starts with a good sleep the night before and it's a constant struggle. How are you sleeping? I sleep really well. (laughs) It's one thing I haven't ever struggled with, actually. Even when I was ill, people would always ask, are you sleeping okay? Mm. I was like, yeah, sleeping brilliantly. And I, you know, who knows? That probably has something to do with my immune system Mm. working so well. What does psychiatry uh, say about dreaming? We don't really talk about much about dreaming, but it's an area I'm really fascinated in. There's a few, um, like, transpersonal psychologists that I follow and they do workshops on lucid dreaming. Yeah, what is the brain activity when people are dreaming? I had one doctor mention that it may be like you know, a small activation of the pineal gland um, because you're getting those visions. And so is there a release of you know some, what, what's being released from the pineal gland when that's taking place? Is it activating the pineal gland more? Lots to research. Mm, definitely. And it's, like you said, a huge field and it's so important. And lots of my friends actually suffer with insomnia. So maybe I will tell them about lion's mane. I mean, the reishi is great as a sort of a, a calming mushroom in 
respect to being in Byron and things, it's a, a very feminine-based energy in terms of nice. <laughs> females just love it. Yeah. Um, especially in the, the research around just being, yeah, calming and very supportive in that sense. And what does that mean pathophysiologically? Well, we just know that this mushroom is producing a lot of, you know, immune benefits, um, modulating the immune system. So both if it's, you know, overactive, or versus if it's underactive, the, the ratio is very intelligent in supporting that. So, yeah, it's a very promising one mm. for the, the research. I love how you speak about mushrooms. <laughs> You've got so much love for them. <laughs> They're like little children, perhaps, but they are <laughs> mushroom um, babies. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're just so intelligent, which sounds crazy as well, but they are within the ecosystem because they're helping lay the foundations for a healthy rainforest, a healthy farm. We've had farmers all the time say, when I was growing up there was mushrooms everywhere in the paddocks and now there's not too many around and at the same time they're not getting the yields or the crops or the, the, the system's not the same. And so like you know, the, the great fantastic fungi was pointing out is that it's all one network it's the underground internet, it's the underground web of life that allows trees to talk to each other, to pass nutrients, that allows soil to be very healthy. This is, again, going back to mycelium and mushrooms. And so taking that, well, it makes sense that when you consume things like the lion's mane, it activates the brain. When we look at the research from psychedelic research around psilocybin and we look at that under a real-time MRI compared to a placebo, there's just less brain activity. But what happens to the brain under lion's mane? It's just talking to each other far greater. Have you seen those beautiful, I really want to get it and put it on my mm. wall, but the piece of art that's the psilocybin art and there's the two circles next to each other, it's beautiful. Okay. And on the second one, it's the brain on psilocybin and it's got all of these beautiful coloured networks essentially mm. going across compared to a normal brain. It's Yeah, I'll show yeah. you it later. It's yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. But it's that idea that everything's firing more and I guess you get that with the lion's mane mm -hmm. as well a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's what Paul Stamets talks about in terms of the, I think it was on the Joe Rogan episode, he talked about lion's mane being the closest thing to that effect is the, the psilocybin in terms of its effect on the brain. So, And there's thousands of pieces of research on this, uh, especially coming out of Asian countries, um, but also London Imperial College doing some good work and other European um, universities doing that, but also just, again, it's just anecdotal evidence from when I was in China a few years ago, all of these mushrooms are painted on the on the temples, you know, on the, the sort of royal buildings in terms of the reishi mushrooms. So they've been revered for hundreds of thousands of years. I saw earlier that Somerset House in London have been holding a mushroom art exhibition really mm. for the last few months. And they've just made it free. It's live on uh, online at the moment. And yeah, if you get, everywhere I look, I just see mushrooms. They start following you after a while. Yeah. Do, so what does yeah. that mean? What does that mean is next to your, yeah. your journey? Once you've, uh, once you've seen them, you can't unsee them, definitely. Mm. So how has that experience been for you with, with mushrooms? So I, I developed a deep relationship with mushrooms. <laughs> you you yeah. sound like me now. Yeah. Uh, so it started obviously back in 2015, culinary mushrooms, so the shiitake. I was eating shiitake. I found some studies that suggested they were really good for anti-cancer foods. So I added those, and I actually started eating them every evening to the point that I became quite unwell. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is something you can explain, but after about a year, I'd gone into remission with conventional medicine as well, yeah. not, not just food. But I started getting really bad stomach cramps every time I ate shiitake and feeling really unwell. And I had to stop eating them for about two years. And now I'm fine again. So I don't know whether, is that a phenomenon you'd heard of? What's my hypothesis? Of? It's interesting. Are you consuming the spores 
And is you know, do you have a spore load? So I did eat them raw occasionally, which okay, I yeah. know now in hindsight I probably shouldn't have done. Yeah, that's a it's pretty much a big no no. Yeah, eating so raw mushrooms. <laughs> maybe it was that. <laughs> so but why is that? Because you're not cooking certain parts and they're not breaking down? Is it the spores within the mushroom getting caught and there's a as a load there? Because actually mushroom farmers lung is a real thing. Where Ooh, people that? get people working with mushrooms, and I had it myself actually in the first twelve months working in the mushrooms. Because you're inhaling so many spores. Because we had like a lot of media coming through, and we didn't want to harvest too early. And they said, "Make sure there's plenty of mushrooms in the room." But they're very timely as to when you need a harvest, like any fruit, really to harvest at an optimum time, or any food, any fresh food. And so, um, yeah, well, we these your oyster mushrooms. Oyster mushrooms. So there was just the room was full of spores, and yeah. we would um, go in there and do some media and cameras, and oh, one more shot, one more shot. And um, yeah, spend the next the afternoon a little bit, you know, with headache and different things, and and a cough developed in the morning. They're very powerful, and they can have amazing benefits, but they can, I guess, cause ill effects like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that was my mushroom journey. Kind of my entry point into mushrooms was the shiitake, and yep. then obviously the powders that I yep. got, which was yeah, chaga, reishi were the main ones. And then when I start, when I made myself sick from the uh, shiitake. I had a bit of a break and I think as well because I wasn't so focused on food as medicine. Obviously, I, I was still plant-based and eating really healthy, but because I was in remission, I think I was less driven by fear. So I wasn't juicing twice a day anymore and doing all <laughs> the things that I've been doing. Yeah. So I kind of forgot about mushrooms for a while, yeah. other than, you know, occasionally button mushrooms and risotto. And then came the resurgence in the psilocybin research and both in terms of being a psychiatry trainee and interested from a mental health point of view, the, yeah. the new research coming through, but also the studies with stage four cancer patients mm. that were showing that it was really helpful for people who were experiencing existential crisis, fear of death. And part of me felt that I still had a bit of fear that I was clinging on to. Obviously, I think any stage four cancer patient, you're always gonna have that fear that it's gonna come back. That's when I started doing my research, looked at the John Hopkins studies and the various studies that were going on and being replicated with stage four patients and took myself off to Amsterdam for a retreat yeah. with psilocybin, which was incredibly powerful. And I, I had a very reassuring experience, which is lovely. Beautiful. Yeah. And I think the other big thing that came out of that journey was my appreciation of nature and I've noticed even recently with the podcast guests that I'm contacting, like yourself, Louis Schwartzberg, I've got a real pull to to care for our planet, very much mm. like yourself, because I was so impressed with the way that your company is based on a circular business model, which I'd love to get into, the yeah. kind of circular economy. We all need to do more to protect our planet and look after it in whatever way we can. Yeah, I'm on a bit of a mission now. That's a beautiful mission. Yeah, and the more feels... we can... Um... I think everyone is inherently wanting to be on that mission. They get distracted with their day-to-day -day stresses and things, but we can all do so many things on many different forms, you know, how we spend our money and who we spend it with. Are we supporting small business, local business, local farmers, or are we supporting, you know, something that we don't actually believe in because it's more convenient to do that or whatever it may be. So Yeah, I think that's one hopefully lovely thing that's come out of the COVID crisis, mm. you know, in amongst all the pain and suffering a lot of people seem to be becoming more conscious. And I know yeah. friends who are growing veggies in their garden <laughs> and other friends who are growing mushrooms. You know, there's, it seems that people are becoming more conscious. Amazing, yeah. More introspection, more time for isolation. <laughs> yeah, and just connecting back with who we are and our values and mm. 
the fact that we're, you know, we are all connected. Yeah. So what is that wish then for how we evolve from here? Or what do you, what do you think needs to take place? I think it starts really where you've started it. It starts locally. It starts with looking, well, first of all, at yourself. I'm personally just becoming more conscious about the clothes I'm buying, companies that are making clothes you know, using hemp. I'm yeah. really interested in for a long time. I think I've just been daydreaming or daywalking, what's the expression? Like sleepwalking through my life. That's a good point. You get, and you get into that mode because you're just sort of like in the rush all the time, in the rush to finish university. You're busy studying medicine. Like it's so busy during that time, you don't have much, you can't look outside. You're just in a textbook or you're just going to little medical parties and everyone's drinking and then they're studying and then they're doing exams and then all of a sudden you're in prac. So everything's so busy. And I think you have, when you haven't got much money as well, that's another big factor that comes into things is shops like Primark. I don't know if you have Primark yeah. But it's so easy to go and stock up on cheap clothes there without really thinking of the bigger picture. Yeah. All of this, this whole conversation also talks to privilege. Yeah. You know, when you aren't struggling to feed your family and you've got a roof over your head, yeah. you can maybe then start to think, okay, how can I buy more consciously? Can I go and shop at a farmer's market? Can I buy hemp clothing? You know, it's yeah, all this. Yeah. Um, it's all very hippie and now it's turned into actually, yeah, it's for the privileged or for the few that have got their means to do it, which is very upsetting and not the right way either. Yeah, so I think really it starts with looking at yourself and if you are in a privileged position to choose the way you spend your money, that's important. You yeah. know, like you said, buying locally and just really being more conscious with how, how you're spending your dollar or your pound. And then I actually read a really beautiful book recently called The Story of More by Hope Duran. Okay. It's, oh, it's just such a brilliant book. And she's a scientist and based in Norway who has basically got the answers to how we can solve yeah. these huge questions that none of us know how to answer. And she just said it all comes down to reducing eating meat, as we know, sharing more. It's really simple. She was like, there's enough to go around on this planet. You yeah. know, we don't need to have people dying children dying of hunger yeah. or the homeless this yeah i think we're going to look back hopefully in years to come and go how did we allow people to live like that when actually there's enough to go around we can yeah. share and yeah. so they're the two big things i'm personally doing is just looking at how i can share and be more considerate nice. and staying plant-based how about yourself? What do you think? I know these are big questions. Yeah, I think it's um, it's about, I guess, now seeing life cycle and some small idea and like really gaining momentum. Four and a half years, it's amazing how quickly things can evolve. Just as that as an example for myself that I've seen that. And so it's like, okay, we'll just starting sharing, starting sharing within your own community and building a sort of a platform to do that, whether it's tech-based or just a culture. And that can expand very quickly. And so that's what gives me optimism you set up the national mushroom network is that right yeah can we talk about that the a national bit? mushroom network which is to help other farmers or other people grow mushrooms in their backyard to create a decentralized food system which i think is very important and we as a company we think is very important in terms of you know not having centralization of food meaning one farm that produces all of the lettuces for you know, for Australia and, and really there's been a lot of consolidation where there's just either you're a really, really big farm or you don't exist. And so all the sort of mid-tier small mum and pa farms have either had to get really big or get out and so or they've been bought out. And so we need to bring back that decentralisation, meaning having many local farms around us because as we can see right now, it's built, uh, you know, resilience. So things like 
being able to go to your local farmer's market, being able to understand where your food came from. It's far and well beyond just, oh, it's a nice thing to do and it's convenient. It is supporting the infrastructure and the local economy, which is a very buzzy word. People always want to say the local economy and it sounds very politically, you know, what politicians care about. But we need to actually do it in a tangible way. So the National Mushroom Network is about creating farmers and mushroom farmers around Australia. I think we have around... Over 60 now, um, last count, maybe it's about 72 so amazing. growers in their backyard that have been able to use that as a resource to grow mushrooms with our sort of technology and our know-how to feed their local 10, 15, 20 kilometre radius with mushrooms. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So so are you then what, you send out the box, the pre-made box two people and then they just go ahead and grow yeah we send them the the kits um, which is like a starter pack and then they put it in their climate controlled humidity controlled environment and then they grow mushrooms from that and they harvest them and we're talking about just to be clear oyster mushrooms here not psilocybin mushrooms. exactly yeah. exactly exactly we're not in amsterdam <laughs> <laughs> so it's the uh, the oyster mushrooms which are known as a vegetarian steak go amazingly well in all kinds of dishes great minerals and vitamins and B vitamin content is amazing for B6 and B12 and iron content. So they tick all those boxes again that, you know, like uh, your friend in Norway was talking about in terms of replacing meat. Mushrooms were the obvious one to exchange it with, while in the meantime we've gone down the path of like fake meat burgers and things, fake plant-based meat that bleeds. And Ew. and it's it can <laughs> seem interesting and exactly and, and all of that, but it's like, okay, what are, what are the ingredients? Where were they sourced? What was What's the cost of production, meaning land use, water use? Uh, pesticide use, chemical use, that's where we really need to get to. So I guess one of my wishes is that just people are being more discerning and asking more questions about their food, where it came from, how it was grown. And then that just puts pressure back onto food companies to answer those questions. And the great thing is that the companies that do well, that are honest, that are truthful, that are doing the right thing will lead and then that will help you know, recreate the food system by doing that. That's, the, that's I think, the smartest, quickest realist way to do it because no CEO cares more than just about, you know, the big corporates about profits, shareholder profits, quarterly reviews, did I get my bonus? That's the truth of it. And so if we push back in the sense of like, oh, I'm not going to spend my money with that company because they grow, they, you know, we've had a lot of issues of late um, in terms of honey and where honey's coming from and a lot of imported honey that actually was labelled as Australian but is not. And so these are just flat-out blatant lies by big corporate companies, big food companies that consumers need to be aware of and consumers need to just, I guess, take action by not buying from those companies so they learn so then they don't do it again. And so then these smaller companies who are doing the right thing, like local beekeepers or local blueberry growers, whatever it may be, are growing and providing food, which, you know, Hippocrates, food is medicine, medicine is food, all of that. That's the, the Bible of medicine, the, the godfather of medicine. And so getting back to those basics through how we spend our dollars for me, I think, is and how we think about food is how we can action change really quickly along with sharing as well as using less and, and thinking about what we're buying. So that's something I'm passionate about. As well, what's interesting is when you buy local quite often your food is actually more nutritious because it hasn't travelled as far 
to get there so it's not been you know stored in lorries or packages mm. um and then actually it's just fresher isn't it fresh and local and seasonal is the way forward and mm. i know it's not always possible but it doesn't have to be more expensive either and i think you're really showing you you it's a brilliant example with the mushroom growing how much can you produce in a week with yeah we can it's produce huge, out, up to you know 30 to 40 kilos per week wow, out yeah. of one of these like i guess it's like a, a three by three space so you know, in terms of economics and in terms of growing and uh, in terms of substituting meat out and the, the change in or the decrease in water consumption versus feeding beef, you know, it just doesn't make sense. We need to be planting more trees. We need to be planting more forests. We need to be smarter with how we grow food. We need to keep it in the soil. You know, we started the company last cycle thinking we're going to do aquaponics and hydroponics, but a lot of the nutrients come from quality soil. So a lot of the topic and the talk for agriculture going forward is healthy soil and natural healthy inputs. Really what we've done over the last 30, 40 years, we've gone down this big fertiliser path and it's like put these chemical inputs into the soil. Just imagine it. For me, what I think when I see that, I think of a human putting growth hormone, putting steroids into their system. They get these small wins aesthetically or whatever it may be for them. Long-term, lots of damage. Long-term, not harmonious and natural with the system. Long-term, we just don't know the outcomes. Yeah, and, and it's that's all that monocrop culture as well, mm. isn't it, that's been mm. going on for decades. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually just depleted the soil of everything that we need to grow. Not to mention what are we consuming in terms of that, you know, those pesticides or fertilisers and no spray or spray-free. And so it's a bit of a minefield, that area, but some people doing some good work in that. Yeah, Zach been, Bush. yeah I was going to say I've been glued to Zach Bush throughout. <laughs> I mean, he's posting some amazing stuff yeah. at the moment with COVID as well, but I think I heard him back in 2017 on the Rich Roll podcast and the way he was talking about glycosphate and pesticides was just fascinating. I'd never heard of anything like that before. Just really interesting, that whole field of soil health and the fact it actually impacts our physical health and our planet. Yeah, it's definitely affecting the mycorrhizal fungi beneath our feet from the fantastic fungi in terms of every step we take out in the forest, out on the farm, where we are stepping on mycelium and mycorrhizal fungi. So that gets depleted as well. So it's the same theory and story that's taking place in many industries and it's the same answers in terms of going back to natural solutions that are harmonious, that have actually been in place for a long time and working with biology, not against it. And that seems to be the theme we just, as humans, get a bit arrogant that we think we have the answers and that we should um, go down this path and it's fine to innovate and use technology but we need to think longer term than a 12-month trial this is okay we should roll it out globally or whatever it may be and and this is where corporate interest comes in and, and corporate economic bias always plays a role so the conversation between health and medicine and farming and politics is all linked to geopolitics and economics as well and it's all one conversation and so we can't just get a few doctors in the room and we can't just get a few farmers in the room and yeah we need everyone speaking to each other essentially pretty much i uh, have come across some really interesting biotech companies actually mm. and i wanted to chat to you about just because i think i mean i imagine you feel the same but that mushrooms and fungi are going to in some way save the world thank you paul but for that because <laughs> <laughs> i suddenly thought the other day after watching fantastic fungi I don't know if you saw the bit where the mycelium comes up from the ground and actually decays the, the dead animal and takes yeah. it back, the nutrients to the ground. I thought, why don't we have mycelium coffins, was mm. my, my train of thought. Yeah. And then I went off to see if it was a business, and it is. Yeah. So they've actually got these kind of mushroom death suits. I don't know yeah. if that's what yeah. you call them. <laughs> mycelium coffins. I thought that's such a brilliant idea, the way that 
the idea that we can use our human nutrients to give back to the soil. Yeah. Which I know for some people might feel a little bit strange, a little bit far-fetched, but actually the idea that we can, you know, it's a cycle, like your business name. Yeah. It's this cycling that's so important. I saw another girl in a canoe made of mushrooms. There's yeah. all these kind of interesting things going on and then some building material. And actually, you know, in the future, we might be making homes from fungi or yeah. mycelium yeah. and uh, furniture. So I think it's just this field is going to be fascinating. It's more than one lifetime's worth of work yeah. and many people's. And that's sort of where we started doing many different trials. We did a trial with IKEA on, uh, you know, using it as insulation products to replace uh, the styrofoam boxes and packaging. Oh, you've done that. And we've done things like that, and we've done textile waste trials with big fast fashion companies and Australia Post to remove their textile wastes. For example, just with Australia Post, the amount of uniforms that they go through with staff every year is tons and tons oh, and tons. Do you know what? You need to come and do the hospital scrubs as exactly. well. Exactly. So there's so much out there, but I guess how do people comprehend that? What do you mean mushrooms can be a, a risotto and can break down textile waste and can be used as a, a coffin uh, enabler? It's really thinking that there's 3.6 to 5 million species out there and each species is like a key that unlocks a different door in terms of its application. So we have lion's mane for brain health. We have shaga mushroom for skin, eyes, hair, we have different mushrooms for polystyrene and replacing polystyrene because of the architecture and the fabric of how it's made and how it's grown. We've got mushrooms that can be cultivated, again, using modern technology as well as to how to in, enhance its ability to grow to make leather or you know vegan leather. And so it's wide open for these this area, but the first area that will kick off is really functional products like we're seeing with our extracts. And then the psychedelic space is getting a lot of interest and then Ecovative are doing amazing work with the um, the polystyrene replacements and building insulation for homes. And these things are all more in harmony with nature because they don't take 400 years to break down. They will break down in anywhere between five days and, and you know, a couple of months in the right environment. So therefore we're leaving less of a footprint in terms of waste and that is a closing the loop on how we live in the macro can you explain, we touched on that earlier, but this idea of circular, do you call it a circular economy? Yeah, circular economy, yeah. So just thinking, I guess just thinking along that whole supply chain and it's great to think, oh, where did that product come from? And then are we just putting it in the trash? Are we just putting it in the recycle bin? Where does it go? How does it finish? And then because mushrooms are known as nature's recycler, so when a tree falls down in nature, it's really the mycelium and the fungi that break down the chitin within the tree allowing the nutrients and the carbon and, and the other, you know, I guess, minerals within the tree to then be decomposed and break down and then become soil. And then from that soil, new trees arise. And so there's no waste in nature. Nature doesn't know what waste is. Humans are great at producing waste and creating things that then don't break mm. down for hundreds of years with a short-term philosophy. And I think it's all part of our evolution. That's fine. We are finding solutions for plastics and things. We're not doing it probably fast enough but we just need to think with that circular mindset in terms of how we live in, within our own home and how we function as businesses as well. And I think, again, going back to what do I want as a consumer, I want a company that's conscious about what they're doing, about what materials they're using, about creating a great product, not just a great marketing campaign, but then also you know, how are they closing the loop? Because these companies now, the really big ones, are utilities. You know, they're... They're in many ways bigger than government and they're also important for hundreds of thousands of people. So they have to have a lot of responsibility. Um, and again, just by showing that and not greenwashing it, then they will win loyalty. 
which will be great for the bottom line as well. And we obviously, as a consumer, play that role of, you know, we need to do our research and double check that the companies we're buying from are closing the loop or at least being beginning to be more conscious and sustainable. Which can be tricky out there. So you need some people out there to do that research for them because everyone's pretty busy. So you look for some people like Dr. G who puts out great information, does a lot of research on products and helps discern. And so getting different opinions is, is good. Yeah. So what's next for the company then? What are you planning? At the moment, we're just trying to keep up with production and, and growing that piece in, in the US and Australia. So we've got a farm in Wisconsin in Australia where we produce extracts with a partner there. And then we have our production here in Australia. So that's base building. It's just getting people consuming these extracts more because it's, it's just better for humanity, we genuinely believe. And then beyond that, we've got a burger, a mushroom burger. Um, that we're doing some trials with the, one of the big food chains Is in that North nice America. Burger? It's a mushroom burger. It will be different flavoured okay. versions. So that's um, what we believe is the lowest carbon footprint burger in the world. We grow it in 11 days. Oh, that's such a good idea. Brilliant. <laughs> How does it taste? It's pretty delicious. Yeah. yeah, we'll get you some for sure when they're, when they're in Australia. And then beyond that, I mean, there's so many areas to our business, I guess, but just bringing out different products in different realms in terms of how they can consume them. So we've got oral sprays coming out in the US, the shaga mushrooms here now in Australia. Animal immunity is a big topic for us. So we've been working with a lot of beekeepers um, because beekeepers and bees are really struggling at the moment due to the monoculture cropping, pesticides, and uh, you know, just general disease, the beekeepers and the bees and the hive is struggling. And so this is a key for food chain security. Yeah, if we don't have the bees, supply. we don't have food, mm. do we? So Paul's done some great research there. We've done some research in Quebec where we showed that our extract was able to increase the lifespan of the bee by 8.22%. So for a bee that only lives between 35 and 40 days, that's very important, especially when hive population is very important to the health of the individual bee and the queen and the hive so meaning you know generally a hive can have anywhere between 40 and 80,000 bees but if it's up to 80,000 they go really well and they're really resilient and strong because they each play a very important role versus when you have a low population count in a hive they're very susceptible to disease because they can't work together they simply just don't have the numbers so it's very inspiring for humanity as well the more they have the better they go but um, by increasing their lifespan, they're able to contribute more to the beehive. So that's been very positive research. Great. You're doing loads of things. It's just fun. Yeah. And as you know, there's just so many areas to go into. So it's lots of lines made to stay focused on one thing. I'm really inspired by you. I think anyone who goes ahead and sets up a business, I mean, it's not easy, is it? Especially coming from a physio background, you know, not having... No business yeah, background. Yeah, no business background. <laughs> For anyone listening who has just been inspired by our conversation, your journey, and also the idea of actually wanting to maybe set up a business that's sustainable and that can contribute to helping the planet, do you have any top tips for anyone, any inspiration? It's a good question. I think it, for me, like if I really dig into it, it was the convergence of, again, what you're very passionate about, what you want to do when you have spare time. You know, in terms what of, brings you alive? Yeah, what brings you alive? What's it just, like, what are you thinking about? when you're not getting paid or what you're, where you naturally go towards what your natural tendency is, you should always hover around that because it's going to be so much time invested in this that, the, that um, you need to figure out what that is because the amount of persistence and resilience that's required is, you know, years of work. You know, for us it's been four and a half years of nonstop work but it doesn't feel like work so that helps. And then combining that with having good people around you that can give you good advice and mentorship is another one. And then just also understanding the timing of the market and being predictive in terms of what do you believe about the future that others probably don't. 
And I think actually if most people agree with you, then that's not a good idea because one, the market will get flooded. There'll be plenty of copycats out there. There'll be plenty of people, be lots of competition. So we went into mushrooms four and a half years ago and there still were some powder companies around, but no one really innovating to the level that we wanted to innovate. Um, no one believing in mushrooms like we believed in mushrooms. You know, my family and friends were like, what do you mean you're going to be growing mushrooms like you're a physio? So that's definitely being bold and being risk-taking, but it was calculated and that I believed based on research that this would be a growing area. And so because there's a balance between being too early in something and being too late. So if we started this business in 1985, by 1990, it would still be the same in the sense that people still weren't really receptive like you noticed four and a half, five years ago when you were getting your treatment. You know, is this witch medicine? What is this? <laughs> the, they called it my brew. And so we're pretty lucky, but we just saw that timing and it's played out the way it's played out. So I think advice would be where do you see the future in three to five years? Extremely hard now with technology, but understand what's coming is pretty obvious. TikTok's going to be very big um, in terms of a social media platform. It already is the most downloaded app. Virtual reality, augmented reality, they're probably like a little bit far off. Um, and so what's in between that? And where can you play and where is your advantage? What do you know that other people don't know and what's your skill set and what do you believe in and what are you passionate about? And then who's the team around you that can help you achieve that? That's probably like the foundational things you need to answer and really believe in and it's fine just to nut things out and that's a good starting point and that's how I would start a business going forward again. I love that you have this business where you've developed this business mindset and yet it's really grounded in having a very open heart. The way you've been speaking about having a sustainable business and caring about communities and you know help encouraging people to grow local and share there's a sense of heart in it and I think your business maybe wouldn't have been as successful as it is becoming and as it's been without that grounding it feels like you've definitely gone into it for the right reasons so I think that's just a huge yeah congratulations because yeah. I as soon as I saw your business and it's really the ethos behind it that yeah. drew me to it as well as the products of course but if more businesses could be grounded in heart and giving back as well, the world would just be such a nicer place. I think so, and I think it's been interesting being a naive to business. Modern-day business and young entrepreneurs now are definitely coming from a place of passion, and maybe in the past they have as well, but, I mean, going into business advice, it's interesting the energy and the environment in a typical boardroom and that kind of profit and loss and this Corporate. and that and, and not being able to see where the magic is and the magic is not in the excel balance sheet and the creation is not there either and that's not where the value is created but it's very hard to get older corporates or people who are been in business for 20 years to see that sometimes we've been very blessed in terms of you know the founding team and our chairman also will you know his background has been probably one of the only business people i've seen uh, he's probably about 10 years older than myself and ryan and Toma. balance between spirituality and business and if you can find that sweet spot, that's where you're going to create magic. Because if you're all business, then you're not going to be able to motivate, excite both your team members and your staff or the market in what you're trying to achieve. Because you have to hold firm on a vision and believe in that vision when others don't. And so you need to be a little bit crazy on that, but you need to be very passionate to excite people to come on that journey. Wow. So exciting, hopefully getting people on the mushroom journey like yourself. I think it's absolutely brilliant what you've done. What you've achieved in the last four and a half years is incredible. The products speak for themselves. I'm really enjoying them. I'm on all five. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that they don't, they're actually pretty tasteless, which mm -hmm. is great. 
And I've definitely noticed, well, I had a great dream last night and I feel more focused and just a bit more energy, which is, I don't know, I can't say for sure. I started taking them all at the same time <laughs> as well. So I really need to probably stop and trial each one at a time. Yeah. But yeah, I think the products are great. The ethos of the business is great. And yeah, just the biggest congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy watching these or listening to these podcasts. The one with Gabriel Mate was amazing. So everyone is playing their role and I'm very excited that you're in the local community and we can connect uh, you to other people in the area and, and have some amazing chats. Amazing. Thank you so much, Julian. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you ever so much for listening to our conversation today. I really hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please take a moment to rate and review. And if you'd like to connect, head on over to the Holistic Healing Project Instagram or my website, which is Dr. Lauren MacDonald. And I really look forward to connecting with you in the future. Please remember that whilst I am a qualified medical doctor, I am not your medical doctor. So whilst we often talk about health and well-being and we give out tools and tips and sometimes discuss topics that are a little bit fringe or alternative, this is very much for information only. It is not individual medical advice. So please, if you have any health concerns, make sure you go and see your own practitioner. <laughs>